Well, I see you're paying another visit to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason, at least digitally for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and we're coming up on our third anniversary at World Cup. That's a lot of talking, friends. We're going to be expanding our horizons in the months to come. We'll still be there, but we're going to be expanding our range of guests. Got to keep it fresh, you know. Today we're talking with pianist Dan Gaynor, a clever fellow and a great player. He's a jazz man, although he can play any kind of music. You may have seen him with Bobby Torres, Chuck Israel's orchestra, Nancy King, and many others. He's one of those fellows I've encountered over the years but have never really sat down and talked with. It's something I've been looking forward to. You're going to enjoy Dan Gaynor. Dan, welcome to the cupping room. Thanks, Tom. That's where we are. And it's nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Uh, you know, I mean, um, I've known you for years and years, uh, and we've actually done interviews. Yeah. But we've never talked to each other. I don't think we've ever had a conversation. Yeah, I ran into you on the street one time. <laughs> one time. You know, many, many years I had ago. a sleeping daughter, and I had to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have... You have two, right? I have two daughters and a son, yeah. Why, well, you've got the cutest kids on earth. You well, know that, thank right? Thank you, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> I'm biased. But everybody says that, right? Well, everybody's nice, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't think so, they wouldn't say anything. So I, I appreciate their sharing. <laughs> so did you play the piano today? Mm, no. No? No. Are you going to? I might. What am I doing? I'm rehearsing tonight. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With who? Uh, with Bobby Torres. Ah. Yeah. Oh, but we, we'll have a gig uh, that happens before this podcast airs. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I'm sure it'll be very good. Yeah. You know, over the weekend, I watched the director's cut of Woodstock. Oh. Four hours. <laughs> Four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was a hippie. Okay. Yeah. So, and there's no shot of him. None. In the joke. There's only shots of two other people in the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just looked, so, looked very, very closely to see if there was a shot of him uh, yeah. in the Joe Cocker performance, but there wasn't. That's too bad. It is too bad. And I've seen that uh, panorama of the band yeah. where you can see him from behind. Yeah. That's a beautiful shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I'm I want to bring him in here and do one of these. I, I would like to know sort of like minute by minute what it was like. That should be documented, don't you think? Yeah, he's, he's got some stories. Yeah. But, I mean, that one particular, you know, I mean, it was Woodstock. Yeah. You know? It was also just <laughs> another gig. I guess it was. From, it, from one point of view. Is that, you think that's true? From one point of view. It, it, it wasn't a cultural touchstone until afterward, I think. I guess. Well, it was sort of touchstone. I don't know. See, I, 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 was, I was on my way, and yeah. my wife had a, an asthma attack, mm. so I never got there. Yeah. But it was, it, 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 when I was on my way, it was a cultural touchstone. Huh? Yeah. Good to know. Because I was a hippie. Okay. You know. <laughs> so when did you stop being a hippie? Never. Never. <laughs> I mean, I still like hippie chicks. All right. You know, and who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> well, if they don't, they won't say. Yeah. So what, are you, what, what will you be playing with Bobby? Uh, we'll be playing uh, his mix of things. Yeah. So yeah. Some, some Latin tunes, some pop tunes, Latinized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be the, the medium-sized band, Three Horns, two singers. So uh. it'll be Margaret Lynn and Tyler Conti. Uh-huh. I've never worked with Tyler before, and I understand he's moving to Los Angeles to work with, among other people, David Foster. So wow. it'll be a nice to make some 
music hit the yeah. stage before he leaves town. Yeah, yeah. You played a lot. You played with Bobby lots of times, right? I've played with Bobby lots of times. Yeah, that's good. But this would would it will be the first time with Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. And where will this be? The Jack London Review. Ah, have you played there before? I've played there before. Yeah? Yeah, I've had a gig there with Dimitri Matheny in a quintet. Really? Yeah. How'd that go? It was good. Good music. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a, a beautiful stage. Uh, yeah. A nice old building, you know, mm-hmm. old wood. Yeah. Portland vibe kind of is there. Yep. You know, only thing I can say about it is that it's hard to get there by accident. Like you have to know that that's where you want to go. That's very true. Yeah. And be patient enough to try to park. Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I usually end up two, three blocks away at least. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. It's great. You know, um, uh, it's great to have that room. Mm -hmm. I was in there a couple weeks ago with when uh, 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 Mel Brown's organ Band was in there. Right. Place was packed. That's good to hear. It is good. That's, That's good, good to hear. Yeah. So, um, uh, do, do you? So, do you practice? Do you play every day? I don't play every day. Why I is play, that? I play most days. I I'm I'm running around all the time. Yeah. You know, I I constantly am thinking of music, uh-huh. and I don't have the sort of instrument where the tone production itself is physical. Uh-huh. You know, if I was a trumpet uh-huh. player, yeah, yeah, I could not skip a day. Right. But right. I'm. Constantly fingering things in my uh-huh. hand, uh-huh. in my mind. Really? And, uh, yeah, not, not necessarily practicing per se every day, but uh, the way my schedule works out, I'm in music doing things very uh-huh. often, so uh-huh. it's not like I'm getting rusty. Uh-huh. Huh. Are your kids playing anything yet? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. My daughter Isabel's taking cello lessons, and ah. Daniel says he plays the drums, but the <laughs> drums are in the basement, which is scary, so he's got a dilemma every time he wants to practice. Oh. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So, that's okay. The basement's a good place for drums, isn't it? That's what I think. <laughs> and I've got my uh, my Nord organ down there, yeah. so I can have little rehearsals there and make <laughs> a little noise and not uh-huh. disturb the neighbors or the family unduly. <laughs> um. So, uh, uh, are are you in are you in any permanent bands? Are there any are there any permanent, there any bands? permanent bands? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a, a member of the Chuck Israel's Jazz Orchestra. Okay, um, and I'm there for most of their things. I had a family obligation um, when they made their last recording mm-hmm. uh, that I was unable to get out of. So uh, they ended up having Miles Black come down from Vancouver, British Columbia mm-hmm. to record the piano chair for that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, basically I've been playing with Chuck for, I imagine, six or seven years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That must be an experience. It is an experience. Yeah. yeah he's, he's been very supportive, very uh, forthcoming with how he feels about music. Uh, well, he never doesn't pull any punches, does he? <laughs> well, it's, it's not combative, <laughs> I don't think. I think it's it's coming out of a really clear vision of what he wants. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I happen basically a member of Bobby Torres' ensemble uh-huh. for about 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. I've what, been were playing you 12 off when you long. started? I, I was 12, but <laughs> n- not in his band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess those are the two bands that I'm a, uh, a regular member of uh-huh. um, most of the time. And then I've been doing a bit of playing with David Friesen, a bit of playing mm-hmm. with Nancy King, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of playing with Patrick Lamb off and on. Yeah. Um, sort of the, the Portland usual suspects. Yeah. I remember we were covering the, uh, we were sponsors 
for the Silverton Jazz Festival. Mm-hmm. And you were played in, in that theater with, uh, with Nancy and Glenn Moore. That was a fantastic night. It was a fantastic night. A beautiful piano. We caught that on video. I know. I've seen it on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have a nice thing on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing night. And we were opening up for Iron Man 2, so when the gig was over, <laughs> they were around the block to get in. That's funny. <laughs> <Show this. laughs> and then there was the owner of the theater, who was always interesting. I didn't meet the person. Didn't you ever met him? I don't think I did. Uh, he's oh, I've heard stories, but yes. I haven't met him. Yeah. He was wearing a lovely gown that night. That's right. Yes, it was. The mayor, too, right? The mayor, yes. Yeah. Mayor of Silverton. That's right on. <laughs> right on. That's a funny little place. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's the dog statue and the dog mural and the mm-hmm. famous the, dog story. Uh, well, there's the... the the park's beautiful, too, right? Right yes. around the Silver yes. Lake Park, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, you can't get there accidentally. It's true. <laughs> but it's beautiful. <laughs> it's worth going to. But that was a great gig. That yeah. was an amazing gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play with really st- people who have really strong personalities. Yeah. Every one of those people are really, really strong personalities. Yeah. All of them. Why is that? Oh, that's a, that's a mystery to me. Um <laughs> Maybe because they lead bands, and to succeed in leading a band, you have to really want to have a band. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I don't, I don't think of Nancy as a band leader per se. Um, she, she definitely has a musical focus. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but you don't lead bands. No, not not as a rule. Why is that? Uh, I don't have a a thing I want to do. Ah. So, um, huh. if there was a a bit of music I wanted to pursue um, that I thought would be worth taking a huge investment into yeah. of, of time and exposure. I, I might do that. Uh-huh. I believe there was a couple of years ago. I, I was I was I used to I used to play stuff of yours on the radio when I was when I had the jazz show. What'd you find of mine? I don't know, but I kept saying I kept saying on the air, Dan, you should record a record. Yeah, make a record. <laughs> I did. I used to say it a lot. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I, you were on the Robert Moore album, weren't you? I am on the Robert yeah, Moore album. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was there for that session. That was a lot of fun. Robert Moore's a lot of fun. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Jeez. Also on Ed Bennett's record not yeah. that long ago. Yeah. You know, around, right? around the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a long time ago. That's like three years ago. It's like five years ago. It's like five years ago. <laughs> hey, count them. Do the math. Jeez. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Well, it took forever to, you know, for Robert to get that record out. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm glad he did. And uh, he used uh, some of those arrangements and some other ones to do a big band show for the, the mm-hmm. CD release mm-hmm. and the same thing at Cathedral Park. Did you Did you arrange that? I arranged some of it. Uh, some of uh-huh. it was basically adapting what was happening in the small group for a larger group. So uh-huh. um, not arranging as and putting a personal spin on it, but just facilitating the transition to a larger group. I see. I yeah. see. All right. So when you arrange, you do put a personal spin on it. Well, I, I guess I must at some point um, decide what's what's good, what's worth keeping, what's uh-huh. what's going on. But sometimes it's really with an aim of going from we have this make it function in a different setting not if i if i were to see this song differently how would i see it look there's terry robb all right <laughs> that's funny <laughs> got a big plate glass window really? all three of us work at joe bar all right <laughs> 
You've, you've played in there, right? I have yeah, played in there. Played yeah. there every Saturday night. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I played in there both with Dimitri and with Robert. Yeah? And Dan Walensky, Once Upon a Time. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. So, when did you start playing the piano? Oh, when I was a kid, when I was five years old. Five? Yeah, maybe younger, but I, I, I was able to read when I was five, and I got a book. And I found one that my parents had, and was just opening it up and figuring out what, what these notes were about. Wow. Yeah. Don't you think that's unusual? It's unusual. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't have any statistics in front of me, but... Right. <laughs> most people don't learn to read the piano from a book. Huh. Um, I ended up getting a teacher when I was uh, about seven and uh, doing pretty well with these light classical things, basic music theory. Well, what were you doing in those two years between when you, when you found the book and got a teacher? I was slacking off, man. Just, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was not living up to my potential. <laughs> Yeah. Well, how did your parents feel about that? They were supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad took piano lessons when he was a kid, and he uh, went to Interlock and Arts Academy in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, when he was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. We, the, my family's from Michigan, so yeah. he found out about it regionally, and yeah. that, that cured him of any musical aspirations when he saw how serious the people there were mm-hmm. in ways that he didn't believe he was so he went into business and accounting and things like that but he had a love for music so he was uh-huh. able to guide me as a young boy huh so did you did, do you do you remember you started playing tunes from that book uh you know it was like a a, a reader method it was like uh-huh. like left hand right hand here's a whole note here's it was yeah. folk songs and very basic things so yes I, I, I played some of those things and i was also able to pick out songs I knew by ear and, and uh, yeah, basic things. Huh. Uh, but the, the method I was using when I was taking uh, private lessons, when I'm seven, eight, and nine, um, well, the method I was using, method my private teacher was using, yeah. um, focused on understanding theory, understanding playing the things you can play, the simple, like Mary had a little lamb things, but playing them in different keys and understanding the keys right off the bat uh, was really well suited to my personality and had, mm-hmm. had, had basic analysis, basic improvisation, but in a way that a kid could grasp. So I, mm-hmm. I, I was exposed to those ideas before I was 10. Wow. You know, even, even if I didn't know who Duke Ellington was or anything <laughs> about art as it relates to society. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky you. Lucky me, for sure. Really? Yeah, fortunate and privileged me. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, so uh, uh, did you, did you, um, you did performances in school and, and, and recitals and I, yeah, the we band? Did, we did uh, annual or semi-annual recitals with the, mm-hmm. the piano teacher and uh, I got um, into a new middle school in fifth grade and wanted to stop taking lessons, but I wanted to join the jazz band. <laughs> so my parents found me another teacher and they said, there's no way you're going to join a jazz band and not take lessons. Huh. So I started talk- studying with uh, Dr. Dennis Plies, who recently retired over at Warner Pacific. Uh-huh. Um, and I studied with him for, I believe, four or five years. And uh, we went through a lot of things, and I ended up learning tunes, learning voicings, learning a lot more about what makes jazz work, and learning classical pieces. I know we, we worked on Bach, mm-hmm. we worked on Brahms, worked on uh, Hannon, I believe, and scales, and a lot of things that were really helpful. So was there a, one particular um, jazz pianist that, that, um, that, that you, you tried to follow? 
No, and there never has been. Really? Um, but um, I remember that Dennis turned me on to McCoy Tyner uh-huh. because I was playing everything really loud. And instead of <laughs> instead of like saying, "Hey, um, you know, take it easy once in a while on the piano," <laughs> he said, "You might like this." <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very positive way. Like it encourages very, the creativity, not yeah, encourages, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. self-criticism. <laughs> so I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember one of the great matches with McCoy Tonner was uh, an album he did with Tony Williams. Mm. <laughs> he made a duet record? No, it was a, there was a, I think Ron Carter was on. Mm, like people, the Super but, Trios? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's famous. And That's a good record. They were, they, they were both banging real hard. <laughs> they were. Hard. Yeah, the record that Dennis gave me was the one, um, ooh, I'm blanking on the name, but it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was Trio again with Ron Carter, but with Elvin Jones. Oh, And it's, it's got a, one, a song where he plays the harpsichord and a song where he plays the celeste, and it's a song, <laughs> they, did, they do a version of Impressions that, there's a bass solo on and, mm-hmm. and it's just too fast to play so Ron plays an unaccompanied bass solo that just takes <laughs> it to a land beyond time and and I've heard that record panned by, by people critically but yeah. I think it's I think it's really musical and, and beautiful well, what do they know? what do they know? what do they know? I was, I was reading Ethan Iverson's recent uh, article did mm-hmm. you see this thing? no oh it's a beautiful article I think it's in the Atlantic about mm-hmm. uh, one night in 1967 where Duke Ellington and Bill Evans happened to be recorded both playing in a sentimental mood oh. on the same night and they wow. talked about the differences wow. <laughs> and one of the asides that I thought was really helpful in my understanding um, of, of like how to think about all that mm-hmm. is uh, he was talking about Jimmy Garrison and the, in the, in the Coltrane band and one of the most effective ways to have a bass solo artistically is for it to be unaccompanied have have it be something different uh-huh. you know it's uh-huh. it, it there's a tendency in jazz for everything to be around robin like here's yeah. here's the song everybody yeah. do it the same way and don't be wrong and then finish yeah. together and then <laughs> then we've been correct but it might be correct uh, but it's not always artistic yeah 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 how do you make that judgment i, I don't know that i can um yeah that's that's a matter of taste. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a safe answer, but it's you know what's the difference between taste and intuition and and, and uh, acumen? I mean, what's the difference? I don't know. It, you you have experiences with the way the music goes once, and you uh-huh. try it again, and you try it again, and you see how yeah. other people do it who do yeah. it better than you. Yeah, and hopefully you develop a taste, uh-huh. or maybe inevitably you develop what your taste is, what your preferences mm-hmm. are. But I don't know that uh, you can make an absolute judgment about how one makes that decision. How do you feel now if you hear somebody play something better than you? I Now that you have all this... All, have invested I'm trying to all remember when time. that's happened. <laughs> never. No, just kidding. Never. No, just no, kidding. Of course not. I, uh, well, I, uh, <laughs> I feel a lot def- less defensive than I did when I was younger. Ah. You know, because yeah. when I was younger, my ego was stronger than it is now. Yes. <laughs> and, and hadn't been whipped as much. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just, or humiliated. <laughs> um, I, I love beautiful music. And yeah. I, I get really inspired when I hear music that's better for lack of a better word than what I do yeah. um, whether it's faster or more beautiful you know yeah. um, because there are possibilities that happen in music that I'm not aware of or conscious of because I think the way I think and I don't get thoughts that aren't my own unless I either converse with other musicians musically or listen 
to other people what they do. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's only so many ways you can say, this is C minor 7. And yeah. I think about <laughs> C minor 7 a certain number of ways. Yeah. And maybe somebody thinks about it differently. And mm-hmm. I can find that inspiring, you know, when I notice. Yeah. When it's, when it's better than what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I learned pretty early, because um, uh, I've run, run a lot of publications going back to the 70s. That uh, and it's something I heard David Bromberg say a long, long time ago, yeah. which was, "I always like to have somebody in the band who's better than me." Oh yeah, yeah. And so that really took the edge off my ego because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I would search that out. You yeah. Know? I remember when I first started working music news and Jack Berry, the great Jack Berry, one of the great jazz writers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, he was, I guess, he was seventy then, and I, you know, he, I, he, he was a friend of mine, and he wanted to write, and he sent me this piece on Oregon, the band, yeah, just just when we started, and I just got this piece, and I went, fuck, this is just exactly why I wanted to start Oregon Music News, yeah, you know, and I could, he could write rings around me, yeah, absolutely, write rings around me, right? You have a lot of affirmation for his way with the words, huh? Oh God, he was fabulous, yeah, yeah, he was wonderful. Um, but anyway, um, so um, uh, that reminds me. I mean, I mean, that's a that's a common thing to think in music. Uh, Dimitri likes to say that uh-huh. whenever he's announcing a uh, a trio piece, because he likes to have me play trio uh-huh. on the gig, yeah, and it mixes it up. It's good for good for everybody, you know, good for the audience, yeah. and and hopefully I find something that that fits and enhances the set. Uh-huh. But he says that Art Farmer used to tell him. Uh, that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> and I, I like I like that. It's a good aphorism, and it's it's, it's a good way to put it. Because if, if you if you're not growing, right. you know, right. then what are you right. doing? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Very true. Um, so, uh, how many keyboards do you own? Uh, I've got about five melodicas. Uh huh. Got a, I've, I've got a bro- easy to store. I've got a broken accordion. Um, I've got a my grandmother's baby grand. Really? Yeah, it's a 1926, so it's 101. Wow! Um, and it was the uh, piano that was used at the opening of the Detroit Masonic Temple. Jeez. She had no relation to that. She bought it used yeah, in the 40s. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I've got a couple of Yamahas. I've got a Kurzweil. I've got a, a Nord organ. Uh-huh. So the Kurzweil has all those extra keys, correct? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> Kurzweil is, is it's just a, a stage piano, eighty-eight oh. keys. So it's not it's not a, a Bosendorfer. Okay. Bosendorfer right. would be like, you know, that's a mortgage payment to to get one of those. <laughs> you know. Um, so I don't. Know, what is that? Fifteen. Jeez. Have you ever played one of those pianos with all the, with the, with the extra keys? I absolutely have. What is that like? It's like playing a, a, a loud piano. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because the extra keys are not designed to sound good. Really? No, they're not designed. Like there's an extra about four notes. Uh-huh. They invert the coloring. So the white keys are black and the black keys are white. Wow. And it, they're there to provide sympathetic resonance. And that's kind of a trip. So, uh, so it's it's overrated. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's I don't know. I don't know if it's overrated or not. I haven't seen the benefit, but if yeah. 
if somebody <laughs> were to buy me a Bosendorfer, I would gladly, you know, this is this not my priority financially. <laughs> so what's your favorite? I don't know. Uh, I like Mason and Hamlin's. I like Yamaha's. Uh-huh. I like Steinway's. I do like Bosendorfer's. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't usually find the the instrument to be an impediment to the music, though. So I made some music that I really enjoyed making on pianos that were panned by other musicians. The, yeah. the old piano at the Brasserie, the old piano at Jimmy Max, oh, the God, old yeah. piano at the Blue Monk. Yes. The pianos that were never in tune. The piano at the Blue Monk. The piano at Mississippi Studios yeah. that, that, are, that were just known for being out of tune. The piano mm-hmm. at O'Connor's in Multnomah Village. Or the, the, actually, the, probably the, maybe the worst one I ever heard in Portland was O'Connor's Downtown. I didn't know they had one downtown. Well, they, yeah, they used to. Yeah. Maybe it's the same piano. Maybe they, <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> not terrible possible. is my point. It's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, you can't make a spinet piano sound like a Bosendorfer with 11-foot yeah. yeah. bass strings. Uh, you can only accept it for what it is, and it should not be an impediment toward the music. So it, it doesn't bother you that you get a piano that's out of tune? No. Not at all. How's that possible? What, how would it bother me? By, by hearing it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that bothered me, then I couldn't walk down the street. If I heard something I didn't like and I was bothered, <laughs> that'd be crippling anxiety. I, I, I wouldn't be able to function. Also, if, if hearing music that was bad bothered me, I could never have gotten to be a better musician through practice. You know, like musicians have a thicker skin about their their shortcomings because they have to work through them. They have to yeah. they have to shore them up and they have yeah. to face them. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, an out of tune piano or a piano with some mechanical problem uh-huh. is it may be a, an impediment to an ecstatic experience for an audience member, but I can't let it get in my way. Yeah. yeah. And I I think about stories about Bud Powell and Art Tatum and famous people playing Transcendent music on on minimal equipment, mm. and I know it's possible. So I just try to find what's good in it. So then, what happens when you get you you, you play a, a say a, a a gig at classic pianos and you've got a really good piano there? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that change things for you? It it makes it sound easy. It makes it feel easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. Uh, the, the quality and value of a piano is is not something I'm 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 disregarding. Yeah, you know there yeah, are yeah. Um, times when I I end up with a rental piano that is just in perfect condition, and everything I've been trying for months suddenly just comes out without effort, and <laughs> it's, it's it's satisfying. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah. so. That doesn't mean that when the piano is on its last legs that I suffer personally. <laughs> I remember it was a uh, some avant-garde thing. It was a guy who who was who's a uh, an avant-garde artist from um, San Francisco or something, and he came. It was called the Mocastra. 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 His name was Mo. Mo. And he came up and he destroyed a piano with, with a sledgehammer. Wow. I know. People got really upset. They got really upset. They were running around in the, in the audience trying to stop him. And, but it was just a, you know, I mean, it was, it was, the piano was, was, you know, done, you know. Yeah. And, but but it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. How would you have felt, do you think? 
I don't know. I mean, I know you, to succeed in this business, as Dave Frischberg says, you got to have a gimmick. But that seems like a difficult one, you know. You, you have to rent the dumpster after every show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know. Because there, there are pianos that, because of economics, will not be salvaged. Right. No one will have any interest in, yeah. I mean, just like a totaled automobile. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got to be let go. And... Um, there's a general sadness, like yeah. pianos used to be a more central part of American yeah. culture. Yeah. You know, before yeah. the phonograph, that yes. was how music of was course. transmitted. Of right. course, I mean, yeah. you look at old, yeah. old buildings. Even you look at a building yeah. that's older mm-hmm. than 1920. Right. They have a stage because yep. that's how people were heard. They had to get yep. up taller than everybody else to yep. be heard in the yep. room when they're dressing. Yeah. My grandmother had a player piano. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So that that has shifted. That's not coming back. No, and uh, so that's that's sad in a way that people don't value the piano as much as they used yeah. to. You know, yeah. so yeah. that's you know, there's there are have new you ever things. made a piano roll? I've, I've not made a piano roll. <laughs> no, I'm not Andrew Durkin. I'm sure Andrew has figured out how to do that, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> He's figured out how to do it and make it funny. Yes. Well, yeah, <laughs> or make it serious. At both. Yes, because that's what he does. That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now he studied the piano rolls. He's he's published a book with a long chapter yeah. of piano rolls. And, yes, and that's really the most I know about them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how do you divide up your time be- between playing and uh, and arranging and teaching and composing? I I do what needs to be done uh, yeah. when it needs to be done. I don't really uh, claim to be proactively managing my time. <laughs> Sometimes it is just self-defense, and sometimes I, I know that I have some time, and I know I have a deadline, and yeah. I can I can work it out. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes my plans, you know, have to take the back seat just because of what what happens in life. You know, yeah. oh, you know, I had a a car that decided it didn't want to go in reverse this month. Oh, jeez, that's okay. You yeah. know, it, yeah. it was a, it was a good horse for a while, right? Right. So sometimes it's just life gets in the way of all the plans. So, I don't, yeah. you know, the, there are people that have uh, a master plan. I don't say I do. Yeah. Yeah. A blues bass player fixes my car. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I'm, I, I'm going to have to hand my transmission to him, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this transmission is not going to be fixed, just like an old piano. <laughs> and if I could turn it into part of my act, I might. Yeah. Uh, do you do a lot of teaching? I don't do a lot of teaching. You do no. any teaching? At the moment, no. At the moment, no. Um, uh, until recently, I worked at Western Oregon University, but mm-hmm. um, I'm doing different things now. Huh. Do you, did you find yourself uh, using similar um, tactics with your students that uh, people use with you? Uh, yes, but not successfully because they oh. are not me. So <laughs> if, I, if I try to treat all my students like they're me, uh, then I can use the same things that worked with me. But that, that was quickly uh, inefficient. Oh, that's too bad. It's all right. I, I learned other things, and I, I am uh, sympathetic to what other people say when they teach is that they mm-hmm. – they say the same thing over and over and over and over for a year, yeah. and then there's a guest artist that tells them the same thing, and they think it's an epiphany, <laughs> right? So I, it, it's a it's a it's a funny business because I can't practice for a student. The, the student has to do the work in order for the real 
progress to happen. It was like a math class. If you don't do problems mm-hmm. between classes, you will not understand it when the semester's over. And it's very similar with music, except yeah. that we don't have in the same way like an objective standard nationwide where you have to know all these things in order to get your college degree. Yeah. It's, it's more um, a judgment call of the professors at an individual school. Yeah. So you went to PSU, right? I did, undergrad and graduate. You were in a quite a in, in with, a, with quite a bunch, weren't you? Oh my goodness! It was oh amazing. My goodness. Yeah, that was, uh, and they were all from basically, basically all from Portland. Yeah, I mean, Ken Ollis was from Maloa, but everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's a that's a good that's a good that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but a lot of musicians um, uh, from from Portland and. Uh, uh, who who all? I mean, Mark Hutchinson, yeah. Lars Campbell. Yeah. He's from Vancouver. That's a whole different state. <laughs> and uh, Mary Sue there when you were there. Mary Sue. Yeah. Um, Nick Call, who ended yeah. up being a state representative instead of a bass player, <laughs> and then is practicing law. Um, music makes a great pre-law degree. I don't know if you realize this. I didn't realize that. Um, and then of course uh, the PSU alum that went on to international famous Esperanza Spalding. Sure. Uh, who didn't actually intend it as a matriculated student. She wasn't ever a freshman. She just took some classes while mm-hmm. she was preparing to go to Boston. So yeah. um, I played in a jazz combo with her and, and Mary Sue and Willie Mathias. Wow. At Portland State. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was amazing that you know the, the, the people that came up at that time because I, I was really actively covering that that whole scene. I remember I I, I was talking to I said this to mm-hmm. Doug Dietrich last week. Um, at that time, in trying to uh, to try to find a name for what was going on, I called it indie jazz. Indie jazz. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if I'm if I'm honest, there there were I mean many more people than I've listed. Andrew Oliver, Dan sure. Duvall, yeah. Um, yeah. Dave Fleshner, yeah. Brian Ward, sure. They were all there with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was a, it was a time where there was a little more pressure from the student body to become a better musician. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was. I mean, it was cultured by the the faculty. Yeah, but there was yeah. a desire. That was there. There was a little more of a magnet yeah. um, feeling to me than when yeah. I went back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For my graduate degree, yeah. and the Dusty Orc was there waiting to record everybody. Oh yeah, which I think was a really important thing. Yeah, you know, because yeah. nobody else was. That's right. You know. Yeah. Um, Did you manage to hear the Ken Alice Trio record I performed on with John Savage? Uh, I'm sure I've got it. Yeah. A long time ago, right? Not that long anymore. I mean, this oh. was 2013, maybe. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember. Sorry. Well, that's all right. <laughs> you know, he uh, he incorporated a lot of uh, classical techniques uh-huh. um, mm-hmm. from his composition studies at Portland State. Ah. Uh, so it wasn't yeah. the, the same things we were doing when we were um, just there as undergrads. Uh-huh. Anyway. Huh. Drew lot- Scholl, was Drew Scholes part of that, that group? No. Drew went to Whitman. Oh, so he was socially part of the group. Yeah. Um, um, once he came back to Portland from Whitman, there's another person who used music as a pre-log. He did. He wasn't even a music major. He he did the Whitman thing where he designed his own degree path. So he had already <laughs> done all that liberal studies yeah. and uh, what do you call it? Uh, well, it was almost like classical education, like where you have to do yeah. reasoning and critical reading. So that was probably very good preparation for his law career. Yeah, I'm waiting for him to come back and run for mayor or, or Congress or something. That's you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I still call him Mr. Mayor. I've been calling him Mr. Mayor for ten years. Man, no, that's a great guy. Yeah. Um. So 
that that must have been. I mean, it's obvious. Obviously, was was a very important period of time for you. Yeah, my youth. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean the PSU. Yeah, the whole PSU thing. I mean, I studied with with Randy Porter and yeah, Daryl Grant, Alan Jones, and Glenn Moore, wow. and Rob Sheps. Jeez. Yeah. So. Again, you don't have any Rob Shep stories, do you? No, no, it's a, oh. no, I don't have any Rob Shep stories. Seriously, not one. Bullshit. <laughs> uh, we did. We did a gig this year. We had a good time. We had a good time. <laughs> who was it? Todd Bishop or somebody who said there's, there's, there's somebody uh, somebody in the world every minute of the day or night who has, who has a Rob Shep story? Yeah, that's what they say, <laughs> right? Well, strong personality. Yes, a strong singular. Personality. And singular, yeah. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. that's Glenn Moore, too. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I tried yeah. to get... He had an album come out. I guess it was the, the last thing with a duo with, with Friesen. Oh, and, yeah. And, and I, I, I got in touch with him and I said, I'd like to do something like, you know, on, on the mm-hmm. record. And he said, I'm busy. Don't you know I have a ranch? No. Oh, okay. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well... Have good. Have a good day. Have a good day. <laughs> if you want to promote the record? Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I believe he's in Arizona. He's yeah. He's out of town. He's not he's gone. Coming back. This, in, nope. In Del for the notice. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Uh, no, I, I actually always actually I, I, I've had done many conversations with him, and I I, I thought we were cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe could you caught just, him on a bad morning. I think I caught him on a bad on, on a bad day. Yes, yeah, I think I yeah. Have, but, uh, but I often think about uh, people like Glenn and and the fact that most of the musicians that I have long relationships with yeah. are now in their seventies, right? Except for Chuck, who's eighty. Eighty, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting to me um, that they they seem more passionate about promoting what they do than young people. Well, time's running out. Time's running out, and yes. it's also, they have, they have stronger roots in, in what they're doing. You know, they've, they've been doing it so long yeah. and seen so much joy in it mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they're not just doing other things or giving up when a club closes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't give up. You have two kids. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. Got to support them 110%. Yeah. 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 Um, well, listen, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate this. It's been really interesting talking to you. You're, you're, you're too smart. You're, too, you're smarter than me. Well, thank you for saying so. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been my pleasure to, to come and, but, and talk but, about me yeah. a little bit. Yeah, because I'm stupid. It's no, okay. come on. No, no, no really. You're fishing now. You're fishing you have no for idea. compliments. You have no idea. No, I know. <laughs> well, there's a career in music. What else is there? The career in journalism. Yeah. There, there used to be. There used to be. It's not anymore. No, no, no. 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 no, no, no but you're doing your thing. So, uh, Trying. That's right. Well, listen, uh, g- gigs coming up? I've got Bobby Torres coming up on the 29th of September, mm-hmm. so that'll probably be before everything before, airs. Before this, I'll yeah. be playing Tuesday, the 10th of October, mm-hmm. with Reggie Houston at Topalaya. Aha, uh-huh. Reggie. Yeah, speaking My of main man, people that do what they do who are in their 70s. I'm telling you, you know, yeah. There's something, something about music that gets that deep that I, that yeah. I find inspiring. You know what Reggie and I talk about? I don't know. Baseball. Oh, right on. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I like that.
baseball too, but I, I don't really follow it. You know, I've got so many other hobbies. You're a Tigers fan? No, I'm not. Okay. My family is, but. I see. Yeah. Well, then take it down off your goddamn Facebook page. I know. Facebook, <laughs> Facebook knows everything about me. <laughs> I don't know who the coach like, is. What's, what's his name from, uh, uh, from Blue Cranes? Is a huge uh, Joe. Is mm. a huge Tigers fan. Yeah. The thing is, if you're a baseball fan and, and you meet a lot of musicians, you know, you, you, you eventually you find out who they like. Right. Like Marr. Ryan Marr loves the Giants. Dusty York, I found out, is the only other person in, in Portland who is a Baltimore Orioles fan besides me. Wow. I mean, we text each other every day during the baseball season. Wow. You know, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's interesting to find guys who, you know, who are baseball fans. Right. I don't know. No, my, my favorite thing about baseball is going to a ballpark. I can't do that around here, so I don't follow it. <laughs> no, you should. That's not true. You can go see the pickles. I can go see the pickles. That's right. Oh, my goodness. I love the pickles, man. <laughs> they got a seven-foot dill pickle named Dylan. <laughs> Dylan the dill. <laughs> All right, man. Wow. Thanks, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Tom. All right.